Greetings, film freaks. We are the Podcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. What's popping, people? Welcome to the Podcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in your ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. Couscous sausage cat. On today's episode, we will be talking about The House That Jack Built. This is a 2018 film directed by Lars von Trier and stars Matt Dillon, Bruno Ganz and Uma Thurman. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. The story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. So, tell me. What did you do to be here? What did you do to be here? What did you do to be here? Well, I'm Jack. I attack. I'm an architect. I like to perfect. There's no going back. Got OCD. Stay away from me I kill to thrill Both an art and a skill Killing meticulously Well Jack You deserve to be here 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 Don't Watch this film. Let's start with some facts about the film. The film had its world premiere at the Cannes International Film Festival on May the 14th, 2018. It was reported that more than 100 audience members, including some critics, walked out during the premiere, though a six-minute standing ovation followed the screening. Some of the upset audience members continued to condemn the film on social media for extreme violence and nihilistic tone. I think his uh, intention was accomplished he clearly yeah. likes to have a divisive audience he likes to f- shock and freak and everything. he's got a bad rep at cairns film festival has he yeah when he did melancholia was it 2011 so he was seven years before this film yeah, that's when he did his infamous speech about how he he sympathizes with hitler and nazis no yeah and that he goes oh jews are all right i used to think i was a jew but i'm not anymore but israel's a pain in the ass that's actual quotes yeah. what he said at a film festival yeah Jesus, he sympathised with like Hitler's what Hitler was going through in the bunker and stuff. See, I know, I know, von Trier is controversial. That's I the know, whole reason he said it, I so know, people would go and watch his film. So they'd be like, "This fucking guy's crazy." What's his film about? So it's a form of marketing, I guess. Just a really odd way to promote something. Well, he's a, a reactionary director, isn't he? I'd say he's reactionary, not artistic. Well, or inflammatory. So he tries to rile people up the wrong way and get people talking about his films. Yeah. But not necessarily for the right reasons. Well, not in my opinion, no. Trust in your, trust in your film, I suppose. But he's, uh, I think he brings some energy to that. It's a festival, didn't he? People, like now there are people like, what's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? Yeah, there's a level of expectancy there. If he's got a track record of getting people rubbed up the wrong way, of upsetting people, to hear that 100 audience members mm. walked out, that included critics yeah. halfway through the film. Yeah. But then also the film got a, a six-minute standing ovation. 
I think that perfectly summarises the whole film itself because it splits opinion, doesn't it? There is a group or a, a community that love gore. They love their yeah. gore fests. I wouldn't say they're depraved, but they're also, they're not the type of people that find beauty in, you know, like a sunset or something. Yeah, there, there's certainly a, a, a group of people that like shock scandal cinema. And I think some people pride themselves on seeing these really out there films and being able to show them almost like a badge of honour to other people. Being, mm-hmm. oh, have you seen this film? It's so fucked up. I'm like that to an extent. There's some films, but not necessarily that shock, some films that make me think really deeper or are really out there or really different in subject matter, in what they're trying to say and what they're trying to do. I'm certainly one that promotes that and likes to look for that. But I'm not one of those people that will watch a film like Serbian film or 120 Days of Sodom Mm. or this. Green Inferno. Yeah, really shocking films. They're not ones that I'd sort of brag about. Oh, have you seen this film? It's horrible. Go and watch it. I'm, I'm not there. But you're right. There's certainly there's certainly a subgenre of people that love that. They love that it. shit. Yeah. yeah, they live for it. It's, I know, I know one person in particular. I won't name names, but you know this person. Mm. He lives for this cinema. Mm-hmm. He he's not interested in mainstream blockbuster. Not even indie. The more shocking, the better for him. And mm. he yeah he he wears it as I say as a badge of honor, and he loves to brag about it almost. Well, if you pierce both your nipples, you're definitely going to enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, let's not give anything else away. Um, The House That Jack Built was originally announced as an eight-part miniseries. In February 2016, Lars von Trier announced via a David Bowie-themed video on his official Facebook page that The House That Jack Built would be his next theatrical release. I could never imagine this as a miniseries. Two and a half hours is more than enough. Imagine eight hours of this story. Hard. Yeah, if the whole series was going to be full, full of the same exploits and same disgusting depravity, yeah. then it would have been hard. If if it was two, three episodes of his serial killing over twelve years, and then five, six episodes of him behind bars explaining it, yeah, then maybe, yeah, I think a way it may have worked, and I sort of dismissed it first off. But if it sort of you saw Jack through his childhood and the reasoning behind the way he is. For a bit of context, he's a fucking nutter serial killer that thinks he's an artist. He's a boy when he clips off the duck's quacky yeah, foot. Yeah, that's just a little flashback within the film, right? But mm-hmm. if the film started and you saw the experiences that led him up to doing what he did and what we see in the film, maybe I'd watch that. Maybe it'd be interesting. But eight hours, and you know, as, we, as we've mentioned, Von Trier loves to inflame loves to get people worked up and frenzied yeah, that, that's his bread and butter well, i think he actually loves these characters as well like i think he's this type of guy that doesn't listen or watch ted bundy documentaries because it's so alien to to the general public like it's fascinating like what this guy did is horrible i think lars von trier watches it and genuinely sees beauty in that lonesome individual who lives this other life killing I think honestly believe that he's he's a very dark individual himself. That's a terrifying level of re- relatability, right? Like you say, I completely agree. There's one thing shining a spotlight on the tortured minds and and those that have done awful things, serial killers and the like in the past, and trying to better understand, not sympathise, but understand the headspace that one would have to be in to commit those sort of crimes. It's, it's another thing entirely to glamorise it and to make it a spectacle and make the audience try and almost empathise with it. And that's what House That Jack built feels I think, like. I think he loves, actually roots for this character. Like at the end of this film, there's a screen that says epilogue and catabasis. 
Now, I, re- I read up on what catabasis means, and it means the hero's journey into the underworld. No way. Yeah. Catabasis means the hero's journey into the underworld. That is worrying. He loves him. I actually even think he is him. Not the murdering and the, and the mutilation, but I, I, I do think he, he sees relation in these oddballs. He like, it's almost like he thinks, why, is, why do we just naturally think these people are evil and nasty? Yeah. It's like, because they are. It does feel to me that the character of Jack, played by Matt Dillon, he sees he's killing as an art form. He sees that he's above everyone else. He thinks he's a master of his craft. He, he sees all the killings and everything as a masterpiece. It does feel that that mirrors Von Trier's own filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it certainly reflects what he thinks of himself. And I, I, you don't have to be a film expert to realise there's so much of the director in the film because some parts are explained like over the top. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you've you've delivered the message you're trying to say, but now you're indulging yourself. Mm-hmm. And as an audience member, you, you're not wanting to watch a director self-suck while you're watching a film, are you? No, yeah. It's like he puts a lot of himself in it. Like there's a moment where it's a voiceover with cutaway footage of um, decaying grapes. And how that's how you get sweet wine. So you're watching something rot, decompose. Yeah. And like you said, the point's made quite quickly. And then he and then it doubles his efforts, triples yeah. his efforts. And, you know, and I can imagine Von Trier sitting in a cafe with someone, talking at them about, well, if you look at grapes, you know, and the way they decay and stuff. And then, then at the end, you get a beautiful iced dessert wine that's really fruity. That isn't, is that not like watching a dead body? The guy is a freak. <laughs> it, it feels like he feels he's the smartest person in any room and yeah especially hearing what you said about him already yeah i i don't think i'm a fan of the man with regards to the graphic violence contained in the film lars von trier thinks it is necessary to show it he is quoted as saying the idea that the pain is worse if you only see the eyes of a man who's being stabbed is bullshit it's an attempt at being tactful it's an excuse in film though if you can convey true pain just through the eyes that's, That's masterful. Excellent. Yes. That's art. Yeah. Anyone can think of something depraved and put it in a film. Anyone. Yeah. I, me and you could go and grab a camera, think of some really messed up things. God, yeah. And, and put it in a film. You know, a bit of prosthetics, some blood, some blood duplication and someone writhing and screaming in pain. Anyone can do depravity. Yeah. It feels like him saying you don't have, if you don't want to show the, the horrible stuff, it's an excuse. But watching this film, it looks like he's using that excuse as an excuse to show all the depravity, to show all of the gruesomeness, the violence. The, and it's quite full blown, isn't it, in this film? It's it's hard to watch. If you look at it from another angle, so let's say, for instance, let's say to him, it's a, a real soldier on Normandy Beach uh, is running up the beach and he's getting shot at by Germans and he's... He, he's a big hole goes in his head, blows the back of his brains out, right? Yeah. That's real. That, that's, let's say that actually happened on Normandy Beach. With yeah. Lars von Trier, he's the German soldier. He's running down the hill towards the body he's just shot, pulling his trousers down, getting himself hard, and then he's going to fuck the hole in the guy's head. That's Whoa. Lars von Trier. Yeah. So him saying, turning away and watching the pain in the eyes, it's like he, like realistic scenarios. Yeah. And puts his own little mad twist in it. Like he's the knife. he's he's the knife in jack like i honestly believe that he sat in his room writing this thinking well if i was jack i'd 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 draw around her nipples and then cut her breasts off yeah because that would shock the audience not because it's fucking art yeah it it does feel like it's shock for shock sake doesn't it Mm. and 
him saying that he judges people for not being brave enough to show things it's bullshit because if you've got good actors if you've got a good script if you've got a good story like you say you don't have to see it all it takes if it's well well told enough it's often what you don't see that's more impactful but when you see it every step of the way and as much as you see it in this film it just becomes exhausting i'm behind it violence you can't watch violence those casino when they put a guy's head in a clamp and they're questioning him and it pops his eye out that's horrific to see watched it because they're torturing him for information they need fair enough that's that's resolved that issue if jack was building uh let's say he was like a wild buffalo bill in a science lambs he's building a suit because he wants to be a woman and jack's taking parts of people's body to build a suit i can see why now we're seeing breasts being cut off because he's going to use them breasts to wear them later and he makes he just makes a wallet of it but it's still jack's goal it's never really explained in all the killings. It's, it's just killing them and you're seeing every part of it and it's like, okay. It's self-gratifying, isn't it? Yeah. Like the whole film itself being made. It's, it, it self-gratifies Jack within the film because he f- considers himself an artist and doing all of these kills because he thinks he's, he's a higher calling to do it. And Von Trier feels self-gratified by making a film like this to shock. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to know, if, have you got anything you liked about the film? Yeah, I think... Um, Matt Dillon plays cold and crazy really well. The fact that he's such a cold bastard throughout the film. So what did you say? It spans 12 years of him killing. Yes. Starts off, he kills Uma Thurman in the car, doesn't he? Yeah. There's almost an element of comedy in the first 30, 40 minutes. It's a very dark comedy. That's what, that's the vibes I was getting almost like Man Bites Dog or something along them lines. And then it gets truly depraved and all that comedy leaves the film. But um, Matt Dillon's character's fierce in it. And then in the end, when he's going through the nine circles of hell with Bruno Gans, it's like a sunny field, isn't it? With loads of hay. And Matt Dillon has this brilliant moment where he produces a tear. Yeah. And it's like this guy's showing no other emotion other than my art. I I should be able to go any means possible to create my art. Yeah. Torture, killing kids. Yeah. Torturing animals, you know, all of that stuff. It's so depraved. But then he cries when he sees this summer's field. Yeah. And that's the only only slightest hint of humanity you have with Jack's That's because you'll never get the whole there. film. Yeah, exactly. You'll never get there. I think that's a lovely moment within the film. Because yeah. obviously without going into too much detail, it's two and a half hours of a man going on a rampage, doing whatever he likes, doing the most disturbing things you can imagine. The middle, the problem is the middle is the most shocking. So I'd say what, 40 minutes in, he he murders two young boys and the mum, doesn't he? And then yeah. makes the mum fe- uh, feed their dead bodies or something. Oh, and so, then he cuts so off tip. He cuts off... Riley Keogh's tits and you see you see it, it's very graphic. So this is the middle. If if the most fiercest thing had come at the very end, it might have been like a nice uh, flourish. Like oh, yeah. fuck. Like a, like at the end of Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. It's a great western, most of the film, and then at the end it's just brutal. Like yeah, the yeah. guy gets it hacked down the middle and stuff, and it's like it's almost like Tarantino. He saves the real dirt for the end. Because you've gone through the film. This guy's this guy is depressing you a, a third of the way into the film. He's really grinding your 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 morality and your humanity. Patience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard. Like I honestly believe if you're if you're struggling or you're feeling really down or you're depressed or anything, do not watch this film. Fuck no. No, it's so not worth go it. Go to Disneyland, uh jump out a plane parachute, be, be ecstatic and then watch it. Yeah, yeah. And even Don't, then it will bring you down. Yeah. Is there anything else you liked about it? Well, I love Bruno Ganz as an actor. Yeah. In Downfall is amazing. I think him as the voiceover and then you actually, and then he materializes, isn't he? I think him as Virgil, he added a reprieve from the, uh, the, yeah. non, the non-stop depravity. 
Well, Bruno Gans is the only voice in the film that's morally conscious, really. Yeah. I mean, you've got the victims, but they don't have a lot to say or do. They're just there to be victims. And he is the he's effectively the consequence to Jack Jack's actions. It's like a guide, isn't he, into the yeah. underworld? Yeah. And I think that his character was the most interesting thing about the film because you don't know if he's if he's real. You don't know if he's he's there to just take Jack to where he's going to be in the afterlife. You don't know if he's his conscience, his guardian angel. It's all up for perception. And I found him brilliant in it. I think he's loosely or directly based on the poet Virgil, who was the Roman poet from like 20 BCE. That Virgil was used in Dante Aglieri's La Divina Commedia, which is the Divine Comedy, which was a trilogy. Inferno. So Dante's Inferno, everyone knows, but it's actually one of three. Purgatorio and Paradiso, which is Purgatory and Heaven. Heaven, yeah. So it, he's directly influenced and taken from that, essentially. Dante is the author being led through the underworld by Virgil. And in this, Jack is being led through the underworld by Virgil. Yes. So it's a direct, well, not a copy, but he's using that to tell his story, I suppose. Yeah. I uh, consider Bruno Gans, who plays Virgil, as the ferryman, mm -hmm. as the person that's gone, right, you've died. You've been an awful, awful human being. You've committed the worst crimes imaginable. He's only critical in voiceover, isn't he? Though, when you actually when he materialises, he even inspire, he even pushes him to build his house and go, okay, let's go. They shake yeah. hands. He's much more cordial in, yeah. in person. I think it's possibly fun. he knows what awaits him. Mm -hmm. So he's almost entertaining Jack. He's going to go on and explain, like, give reasons to what you've done. Mm -hmm. Like, explain it to me. And he gives Jack, it's like a confession. Jack says all the things he's done and he listens. And then he's heard it all and he's like, right, okay, that's all you've got to say. It's like a final meal, effectively. Get it all off your chest right now. You're fucked for eternity. I couldn't eat a meal if I was about to get electric chaired or sank. No. Well, I couldn't. No, I wouldn't have an appetite. Who would? I only have two more likes. Um, I really enjoyed the rough camera work and the cave water scene. So obviously they descend yeah, into yeah. the underworld. And I love that when there's this, like, it's quite artistic at first. You just see two, two figures floating underwater towards nothing. And then it cuts and they're like almost caving with a GoPro and Bruno Gans is in the cave and yeah, so yeah. is Dylan and it's water everywhere. It's got, for me personally, the film starts when he's looking for the full metal jacket bullet so he can kill three guys in a row at the end. If, if the film started there and then it was 90 minutes of him traversing the nine circles of hell, I think that would have been amazing. I think all the depravity that comes beforehand, it's not needed because you know, straight away the impression that he's he's clearly going to hell or he's he's being questioned for the things he's done hmm. so you're watching the depravity but it doesn't add to the story it's because you already know what the deal is i suppose uh yeah so i loved i loved that that random bit of crazy camera work underwater in a real cave and my love final like was um i really liked that the film made a loss of six million dollars <laughs> fair enough yeah I didn't know that. I think it speaks volumes. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if as the years go by, it gets another another wind, another burst of energy when people hear more about it. And I think that's just from the release. It's probably made a lot since then. Yeah, because controversy gets people talking. Controversy and scandal piques people's, people's interest. And I watched this film first time when it first came out. And I was almost uh, like a blanket pulled over my head. And because the shock was so shocking, I was almost tricked into thinking, wow, that was so out there. Like that, that's a good film. Like, oh yeah, go, watch this film, man. It's crazy. It's mad. Mm -hmm. Giving it a few years and watching it back. And once that shock 
factors out and you know what's coming, it's harder to stomach because you, you're not getting that initial initial yes. shock. Yeah. You're not surprised. You know what's coming. And when you know what's coming and you're sitting there watching two and a half hours for it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a slog. Everyone remembers their first time. With yeah. the house that Jack built. Yeah, of course, yeah. You don't forget that yeah. shit. Well, I, for the process of the podcast, I like to watch the films twice because I watch it first time around, make notes. Second time I watch it, I watch it without making any notes, full focus on the film. Came to the second time of watching this, I couldn't do it. I could not do but it. But technically it was your third or fourth time of really watching it, wasn't it? But for the podcast, it's your second in a, like a week. Yeah, it would have been second in, in a week, yeah, but I didn't mm. even attempt it because the thought of it was just like, oh. It's very depressing. Yeah, I'd rather watch Love Island. Always films are. Yeah. Always films are depressing. So there's a there's a few elements I did like about the film. Like you, I enjoyed how surprisingly funny it was. Considering the film is two and a half hours of depraved darkness, I found some parts genuinely laugh out loud funny. There is undeniable humour at the start, but that, Almost inappropriate comedy fades out as the story progresses. Like you said, I couldn't agree more. If they managed to keep that tone of dark comedy and had a, a less less shock, more laughs, because mm. you know it's, it's okay to find humour in dark realms of storytelling. Of course, it is. Yeah, you, you know, filmmakers have been showing that for, for years and years. But it's such an abrupt end to the laughs, and then all that comes in is the misery in the darkness. It's, it doesn't stay in that initial opening. Theme. Yeah. I, when I first put it on two years ago, when you first told me to watch it, I thought it's going to be a funny, like dark, dark comedy, mm. especially the bit of Uma Thurman and then yeah. Matt Dillon's first attempt at strangling someone. And, yeah. And you, you just think like, oh, this is really um, uncomfortable, but it's funny. Yeah. It makes you laugh at things, the way it's it's shot, the way uh, Matt Dillon performs, the, the dialogue, everything like makes things that you shouldn't laugh at funny. But you can't help but laugh because it's it's just so ridiculous mm. and genuinely humorous. And that just fades out, which is a shame, really. Like you, I think Matt Dillon was superb in it. Yeah. It must have been really tough for him to do a film like that, any actor to do a film like that. It must take a lot out of you. His turn as serial killer Jack is, my opinion, a career best performance from him. I think a deeply disturbing insight into a delusional murderer who genuinely believes his killings are an art form. And Dylan was terrifying, calculated and entirely believable throughout whatever else you have to say about the film or anyone has to say about the film, positive or negative. His performance was a joy to behold. Yeah. I feel maybe he's such a pro though. He just doesn't let that in all that darkness. Some actors, you know, oh, it would God. have been like, Oh, I had to get therapy over it. Yeah. You know, it really affected me. It was hard for me to get on with life. I, you know, he, I think he was just cold pro. He probably didn't even watch it himself. I wouldn't blame him. God, I wouldn't blame him. Mm. I don't know a huge body of his work. I've only seen him in uh, there's something about Mary crash. You me Dupree. <laughs> Wild Things and Modern Family. Outsiders. I haven't seen it. That was great. But I've seen him in more comedic, light-hearted roles. Or like he's, I've seen, I think I've seen him in a few films where he's been like the bad boy or the jock and stuff like that. He's, he's good at that. But this was a real stretch for him and I thought he did a good job. Yeah, man. Yeah. I also like the, uh, the fact that there is consequences to actions. Uh, considering how horrible the film is, there had to be a form of punishment for Jack's actions. The way he's brought to justice has uh, religious connotations and being raised as a Catholic, the scope in which it explored did fascinate me. So if the film finished and he got shot, end, it would have been like, oh, what was the point in that? Or if the film finished and he was still at large, it'd be like, oh, well, what was the point? Mm-hmm. The fact that 
everything he did, he's being held accountable for and results in what happens in his afterlife. I found that interesting. And I would have liked more of the film, like you said, to have been about that, that exploration of hell and what happens after we die and all of that. Well, he felt in- invincible in tangible world, didn't he? In the world we live in. Yeah, untouchable. Barely in, no police barely got involved. It, when yeah. when uh, Riley Keogh leaves the apartment screaming, asking the policeman for help and it calms down, he takes her upstairs cuts her breasts off and then walks off and puts one under the police car uh, on the police car's windscreen and just leaves as if to say he's untouchable yeah Yeah. so yeah so it shows i suppose that what you may get away with on the mortal coil of earth you might not get away with in the boundaries outside of earth yeah it's all it's all religious construct isn't it yeah it's whether you believe in religion or not as to whether it's a whether you can swallow his ultimate fate. Exactly, yeah. If you're of uh, religious leanings or you understand faith and stuff like that, it's an interesting watch. But if you're anti-religion and you're against it, I can imagine it's a bit of a slog. I mean, it's a slog regardless of your beliefs, but even more so if the afterlife is something you strongly disagree or disbelieve in, it would be really hard to, to swallow. Well, no one knows and there's no evidence. True. Solved. Um, what didn't you like about the film? A plethora of things, but I might have mentioned quite a few of them already. I hated Lars von Trier's ego just seeped through this film. And there's a there's a little montage towards the end where Matt Dillon's talking about the greatest arts on earth and stuff. And they show you a few pieces of art. And in between them sort of shots, he's got his own films appearing in the film. He's got melancholy and nymphomania, scenes from his own films in his film. And again, it's like him trying to say, I'm just like Jack. Can't you see that? Like, not all of us are, uh, you need to understand us. It's like, it's like asking someone to understand a paedophile. It's like, I can't, what do you mean? Why are you putting your own films in a film about a serial killer who's not accepted by society? He doesn't yeah. divide my opinion. No. It's not like, well, yeah, he was a wrong one, but you know, he's, he's our wrong one. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, I feel like he's, um, I think he's shit. <laughs> I, think Lars von, I think Lars von Trier is crap. I've watched Melancholia. Apart from the, he does, the one thing I do like that he does, and there's just some nice slow imagery that he tends to use in, in, I see what I saw it in Melancholia and I saw it in House of Jack built. And it's like, um, you know, there's an image when they're cross there on the, the, they're on the boat with the river man. It's just, a, it's almost a still, but it's moving very slowly. And Matt Dillon's on the boat. Grant Gans is on the boat. And it looks like an old painting. Oh, it is a, it is a reconstruction of a famous yes. painting. Yeah. So that's a, that's nice imagery, but it gets totally lost. Yeah. In the deluge of fourth wall breaking ego shit, trying to be divisive, trying to divide, trying to, the, the whole reason we're sitting here talking about it is exactly what he wants. He wants, he wants me to sit here and go, I think he's a shit director. Yeah. And I think he's, he really needs to get onto some Cetraline or Prozac, there is something wrong with that man. Oh, that's undeniable. Yeah. If you make a film like this, and I don't know um, Von Trier's other works, so I haven't seen anything else, but if if they're anything like this, then the man needs help. Well, Nymphomaniac Part 1, so there's a, there's a big, there's a large opinion out there that he's he, he is a misogynist and he has some very dark opinions about women. It Apparently it reoccurs a lot in the things within his film, but like Nymphomaniac is essentially... It's a non-stop wankfest porno type film. It just is. It's just really graphic, non, no, no loving sex. That there's no, there's no love or warmth in it. It's not like having sex to enjoy sex. It's like 
she's punishing herself forever from a young age until she's older in loads of different sex scenarios, violence, rape. It's just, and then you hear about his other films. Uh, one of his older films, I can't remember, where a woman cuts her own clitoris off. What? Yeah, yeah, in one of his earlier ones. And he did Dogfield with Nicole Kidman, who gets raped and stuff. It's just constant with the guy. He's such a downer. Yeah. I'm all for a really shocking film. Like, if there's if there's relevance to it, you know. If, it's horrible when you see uh, Passion of the Christ and Jesus Christ getting tortured and stuff, and you think about that. Or in Apocalypto, when they're getting their entrails pulled out. Schindler's List always shocked me. Yeah. And I do think it is shocking because it was real. That shit actually happened. He's n- nonsense with uh, Nymphomaniac, Melancholia, and now The House of Jack Bill. I just find I do not like that, man. Yeah, that, that's clear. strange that I've seen three films. Yeah, I mean, fair play because you can back up your argument. Well, that's the most films I've seen of a director I can't stand. <laughs> can't stand. <laughs> that's good research, though, man. Good groundwork. Mm. What else didn't you like about it? I'm sure there's loads. Uh, we covered, look, I think, the violence cruelty shown is purely to be controversial and to get word of mouth started up. It's not for the benefit of the plot of the film. It's violence for violence sake. Yeah. I mean, like, for me. like you mentioned, you, you can tell a story that's worth telling and have shocking elements in it. Shocking elements within a, a well-told story can be helpful, can be beneficial. It helps you understand the plight of the characters that are going through it or empathise with the people making hard decisions or doing wrong things or whatever. Those those two things can coexist. Story and shock can coexist. Mm-hmm. Problem with House That Jack Built, and I'd certainly feel this more after watching it a second time, it's like you say, he's there to shock and shock only. Mm. And it's a hard thing to digest, mate. Yeah. Then that last, like I said, the last 30 minutes... I enjoyed it. I was kind of like, this is cool, this part, because he's being taken outside of the, the the experience we've just had. Yeah. He's being taken away from that that real world, and you're watching um, this cool sort of dynamic between him and Virgil, and it's it had that... It, it was That was the best part of the film for me. I think a, a shock fest like this, I think it is bookended by a strong start and a, st- a strong finish. Mm. And I combine that with my first time of watching it. And that's what makes up my score when I come to my rating later. It's not necessarily what I think of it now, but the, st- the start and the finish feel strong. So a sa- just, sandwich without a filling? Or a sandwich with a poison filling. Ooh. It, the, the middle is so, it's just so dense and thick and it's just like, oh, oh, that's got to be the word. Oh, no, wait, there's more. Oh, fuck me, there's more. And yeah. so I think he he has a responsibility as a filmmaker to be very careful with his films because when you watch the likes of Melancholia or Nymphomaniac or House of Jack Built, there's no, there's no hope in it. And I think it, it could borderline be a trigger warning for, for people that are potentially yeah. suicidal. It is so, it literally shows that there is no hope for humankind and we're all fucked. And everyone, uh, everyone, look, this is how I feel. And it's yeah. like, man, sometimes you've got to be so careful because for me, let's say I'm an optimistic person in, in, in most of what I do. That, his films are so depressing. Yeah. And uh, I did Melancholia and then one day later did House at Jack Bill. And you're still standing. Well, I've had to put on like Sesame Street and stuff <laughs> and and eat chocolate and, yeah. and play with a little accordion. It's been hard. It, it feels like Von Trier's found a niche in the market and he's got 
a, a big enough following where he can keep making films like this. It, the niche in the market is that he loses a lot of money making films. But he also gets those people that, that live and breathe this sort of cinema, that loves to be involved in, in films that make you go, why? Or films that make you go, oh, or films that make you go, no. They're the same people, though, that go, oh, look at this video of a guy getting beheaded yeah. in Syria. They're the same people. Or like, look at this guy commit suicide jumping off a building. I'm like... Dude, I have one life. If I'm lucky, I'll get 65 years in my life, right? I ain't going to waste my time watching the darkest, depraved shit if there ain't a purpose to it, if it doesn't enlighten me. This has not made me realise that there, oh, there is another side to serial killers. No, it hasn't. It's not made me realise that there is art in cutting titties off. It's not, it, it has done nothing. It, I've not walked away from it with a newfound respect for any aspect of it. But that's a good thing. Because if you watch this film and walked out of it going, I know what I need to do now. That's a fucking problem. So I think it is. I think it is good that you come out of the film feeling almost dirty, angry. uncomfortable, angry in your own skin. The problem is that's not what the director's setting out to do. I think he's one in controversy. He wants people to to join alliances and, and and enable him to make films like this. I don't think he's necessarily telling these stories to you know inflame these thoughts within us where we're like oh god's all oh, like oh it, he want he wants the bad stuff it's why it's two and a half hours long that's why he's got a track record of saying these things he's there to inflame he's there to poke he said he wants to um he wants to film a porno with uh kirsten dunst and her co, co i can't remember the girl's name is her co-star in melancholia okay. who, who was also the lead in nymphomaniac said he goes yeah she, when kirsten dunce got her breasts out in melancholia she her and um her counterpart all were like oh yeah we want to do just a film that's just pure sex like and it's like no one knows if he's telling the truth or not <sighs> he re he says some things and it's just like i can't believe actors want to work with him like i honestly can't dylan's different because dylan he, he's never been a super movie star, so I think he needs to stick in the realms of indie and art. But, you, you know, I think it's mad that, like, Skarsgård appears in his films, like Nymphomaniac and Melancholia, uh, or he's even his son, and he's uh, in North... Alexander Skarsgård. Yes, yeah. It's like, it amazes me people want to do films for this guy, because what he says in public, most people get cancelled over. But you know, you can't you can't say you sympathise with Nazis and that Israel's a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. no one gets away with that shit. He does because he's controversial. I guess I guess the argument for people wanting to to work with him because there's no such thing as bad press. So even if these films are shocking, you're talking about it. And if someone like Matt Dillon shows that he can do this sort of role, it may open doors for him with better filmmakers, more established, more respected filmmakers down the line. Mm -hmm. So I guess if people are talking about it, that helps their careers. But that's a stretch, that's, I'm guessing here. Any more dislikes? If I don't like his artwork, I also don't like him by proxy and vice versa. I don't like him, so I don't like his artwork. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, that's just something I feel. I feel very strongly about it. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. If he if he, if he, he ever messaged and phoned and said, oh, I'd love to come on uh, your, 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 your podcast. Uh, no. No, no, thanks. You ain't coming on here, mate. I'd let him on. No, you come in with a big dark cloud behind him and loads of Chinese orphan kids. Like, feed us. Oh, fucking hell. Okay, well, I'll go on to what I didn't like about it. And most of them are what you've touched on already, so I'll be quite brief. And it's just exhausting. There are so many tough-to-watch scenes that are relentless in their bid to shock its audience. After a while, the discomfort transforms into anger, and as scenes get more and more sickening, I find myself losing patience with it. And I think that mirrors what you've said already. It's just too much. It is. The best thing, it, the best thing this film has going for it, is if someone said to me, "What's the most shocking film you've seen?" 
And I would probably say House of Jack built. And before that, it was probably okay, a land bike stock or something. We'll leave that there because I've got a question that might oh, okay. blend into that. Right. But I am interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also didn't like it was pretentious. Again, we've touched on it already, so I don't have to say too much. It's just self-serving. It's his opinions, isn't it? It's almost. It feels it feels like a direct reflection of himself when you see Jack and how he's portrayed on the on the screen. Um, it's that self-importance, and he's just not as smart as he thinks he is. And the final product feels like the result of someone who thinks they are taking the serial killer genre to the next level, but he ain't. Is he an architect? the character Jack. Jack yeah yes then why can't he build his house why does he fail every time he because he's more it? interested in b- building his legacy of killing people so I guess is that the main plot or is that a plot that runs concurrently alongside his journey so him building his house he had to gather the bodies to build that one in the fridge at the end I for context yeah yeah I the short answer is I don't know who knows I think the main story is what happens with him and Verge because the the narration at the start is between um Jack and Verge talking about what Jack's done all the terrible crimes he's committed and stuff I think that's the nucleus of the story and I think the the subtext subplot of the ar- of the architect is like you say just to make sense of Lars von Trier wanted to show a building full of a uh, built with dead bodies mm-hmm. it's yeah well Virgil's uh, Virgil's voiceover says in it um, and I'm telling you there is no art without love this is not a discussion yeah because Dylan's consistently pushing the fact that oh look it's art that person screamed and now they're dead and it's like yeah. oh it's just yeah it's depressing isn't it it's so depressing <laughs> my final point again you've touched on it we've both touched on it is the bloated runtime. it's just two and a half hours of pure discomfort and it's unnecessary and self-indulgent um first time i watched it the shock factor as i said tricked me into thinking it was decent and edgy second time watching i just found it too much it's worth saying on the back of that there is there is parts of the film that i do re- respect a, a strong word appreciate maybe Hmm. the the sort of the look at a serial killer without giving context not sort of why he's explaining like oh he had a tough childhood because we've seen that done time and time again and it's easy to say oh he had a horrible he was abused as a child he had a horrible upbringing beaten up all of these terrible things oh that's why he's done it okay i appreciate the fact that we're just seeing a monster being a monster there's no context he's just a dickhead he's just an absolute animal it's it's almost like von cheer was saying you could have had the happiest childhood on earth. You can't stop some people being like this. If they feel like it is their genuine path of enlightenment, that's what they've got to do. Nothing's going to change that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I do appreciate that side of it. Again, like I mentioned, I appreciated the beginning and I appreciated the end. I appreciated the first time seeing it and being like, whoa, that's something. Say what you want about the film. I've not seen anything like it. So that is why I'm sort of trying to, explain my my reasoning of my rating before i've even given you my rating mm-hmm. but yeah just a bit of context so you don't punch so you don't punch me across the table Ka-ching. um i've got some questions yashk i consider the house that jack built a marmite film i thought you, gonna, I thought you were about to say masterpiece then i would have been punched right no it's a masterpiece for um depraved nihilistic mofos yeah. a masterpiece for maniacs yeah. But um yeah, I consider the house that Jack built a Marmite film. You either love it or hate it. Do you judge those that find value in it or can you see why it might appeal to some? I could never understand what, anyone that would walk away going it was incredible. Like the people that clapped at the end of Cannes, I could there's no point in me having a conversation with that because I just think 
I think I would just end up saying you're just you're just depraved. You're sick, which is n- not nice because some people do enjoy that. I love horror films, always have. Not slashes, but I've always loved the creepy ones. You know, I lo- always enjoyed The Exorcist and Blair Witch Project and stuff. I do like to be scared. This is not a scare fest. This is shock fest. Yeah, it's a shock fest, and it's like it's questioning your morality you know he doesn't want people to look away he even said it oh you know seeing someone get pain in the eyes that's bollocks you need to see it really happen so he doesn't even like the people that look away no he wants them to take it in like he does he probably watches them watch it yeah i I think he's questioning tolerance i think he gets off on it i would not be surprised if it was 1939 that motherfucker would have been the nazi party and he would have loved every minute of it well from what you've said he's quoted as saying I, I fully believe it yeah read about it later I will do yeah. you enjoy it it adds a lot of um, depth to it even if he was just trying to be controversial because he even said after I apologise I'm not anti-Semitic or anything doesn't matter mate. yeah but you can't make those comments and then come out afterwards and go oh ooh, ooh I don't mean it well, like, you can't there's only two things he either said it because he believed it and he messed up which is the most hardest one to believe or the second one he said it so it made headlines and then people watch his film because they're like oh this crazy director said this now I want to watch his film yeah, but and that makes still, him a charlatan yeah that's disgusting as well yeah they're both shit because it's at the expense of a tragedy that happened to a religion you know yeah. a, ra- a race of people so yeah so my second question you touched on it earlier nearly basically answered it but I'll ask it again and you can develop it further where does this film rank in your list of most disturbing films you said top earlier I think I think it is because if you asked me to go and watch Man Bites Dog, uh, Sleepers, like Sleepers is a disturbing film. It's not, it's yeah. not over graphic, but it's boys being raped by yeah, prison yeah, guards. So it's yeah. kind of a horrible film. Even of the course. Kite Runners got a nasty bit in it. Oh, where, yeah, yeah. So they're disturbing, um, but I I can watch them. Yeah, there's a story. Yeah, and I think I think Man Bites Dog is uh, it, it maintains its comedy a lot better and a lot longer because it is a mockumentary, but. There is also a point in that film where it turns a bit dark, but I could watch that again. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd say worst. Top. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'd say that's the most, that stuck with me since two years ago. Yeah. That's the only one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly up there with mine. I've not seen Serbian films. I regret that, watching that film. And I didn't see the torture one. Hostel. Oh, hostel. Yeah, yeah that's disturbing. It's, it's not up there. Um, the the person we spoke of earlier, who who we discussed, that gets off on films like this, he he told me to watch Serbian film, and five times in that film, I messaged him going, "No, I, I'm not watching this. It's it's too much. It is too much. And it's that's the a worst. Lot, that's a lot for you to say. It's listen. I'm I'm shock cinema. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I am interested to see the boundaries pushed. I'm interested to see what filmmakers have to say to shock people. That does intrigue me, not to the point of some, but Serbian film is a, a completely different case. But is it a piece of shit? Is it pure trash? It's not, it's, it's, it's horrible. It is, it is the epitome of horrible. It's, it's nasty. It's, it's sleep deducing. It's, Ooh. it, sits with you and as I say I, the the person that lent me the film I messaged five or six times going dude I can't watch this I cannot watch this and he kept me on on the leash and he was like no you, you have to watch it to the end because of the revelation you did that to me with Jack yeah you think this is bad mm. I'm not kidding you at least 50 times worse baby soup I can't I will not even utter the words of what happens okay. on this podcast but it is so it's up there 
think Serbian film is heads and shoulders above everything oh else. God. 120 Days of Sodom is also a horrible, horrible film. That's French shocks, 70s, isn't it? Uh, might be earlier. I think Italian. I'm not oh, too okay. sure. On not too sure on the specifics. But yeah, the house that Jack built is certainly up there. My final question: In the film, Jack is faced with a choice: accept his fate and deal with his place in the afterlife, or attempt a highly unlikely route out of his final destination, but risk falling deeper into hell. What would you choose? That's out of hell, isn't it? Yes. So, so in the film, he's uh, the conclusion of the story is Jack ends up in hell, and um, comes to like an oubliette. Verge says to him, "Look, cut your losses. You can stay here. This, this, is, you're in hell now. You're in hell. But if you want to try and escape, you can climb these wall, climb this wall, and there's a bridge up to heaven. But people have tried, never succeeded. People have tried, never succeeded. Yeah. So my question is, would you try? Or would you just deal with the hell you're in? Well, it's odd because um, I can't understand why Jack would want to get to the other side and get out of hell. He he clearly uh, admires evil. Because, why would you not want to stay in that place? Because he doesn't see what he's doing is wrong. So he doesn't want to be in hell because he knows that he's got that. He's got enough perception to say, oh, hell is bad. I don't want to be in hell. Yeah, he doesn't correlate his actions being worthy of being in hell. So the delusion- Living in a fridge and cutting a kid, a, f- a smile into a dead boy's face, yes, that is hell. That's brutal. Isn't he, doesn't, he doesn't see that as hell. That's his choice to do that. So the question is just, would you, would you attempt to get to heaven or would you just cut your losses and deal with the shit you're in? Do you, can I die in hell? Or is it, do I like live every day of, in agony? Is that, is that the deal? I've never been. Yeah. But the nine rings of hell suggests that the lower you get or the higher you get, the worse it is. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. A couple of them are seven, yeah. seven sins. It's so hard, man. I don't know. If I'm Jack, I want to die because I can't live with this film. I want to die after watching it. Um, <laughs> I jump. I just jump into the hole and go down to hell. And you'd get mad props from the demons and stuff. Go, look at this guy. Well, if you're just rock bottom, you might as well just go that extra mile. Okay. Good. Mm. What would you rate uh, the house that Jack built out of 10? This is generous. Go Four. On. Four. Generous. That is generous. I you, was ex- you were right to think that I was going to give the boy a zero because, I, I, because of the way it made me feel, but then I had to be a bit more uh, sub- objective. Is that the word? Do you want to hear what I rated? Seven. Give it a seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of... Because of the beginning and the end, because of that first time seeing it, as I say, it tricked me into telling people, I've just watched this film and it's blown my mind. Because when you watch it immediately and it's so different to anything you've seen, you're tricked. Can I ask you a question? Do you think you can? So if you were at that Cairns event, yeah, were you clapping at the end? Probably. <gasps> yeah. And I feel like a cretin, dirty monster man saying it. Nazi bastard. But not in support of Von Trier. Not in support of anything he has to say or his moral standpoints or what he believes in. Nothing like that. Just as a spectacle, as the film being out there and shocking. Yes. And the... I watched it first time round when I worked in a job where I had to be up at uh, three a.m. the next morning. I got no sleep because I was just thinking of that film. I watched it just before bed. I didn't know what I was letting myself in for, mm. and I went to sleep and I was just thinking about it all, like the final scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, so it stuck with me. Seven might sound like a high rating considering how much I've bashed the film, but for for what it's considering, it sets out to shock. It certainly does that. So in its endeavours to to make people feel uncomfortable, yeah. if you were to rank that out of 10, you'd give it a 10 because it makes everyone that sees it feel yeah. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that's why, and I'm trying very hard to validate my reasoning because I feel a bit like no, I'm that's a right. dickhead. So I, I would go seven. Shock, shock is great. I think yeah. if it, but if it's bookended with excellent filmmaking, great plot. Yeah. And for me, this isn't. 
So that gives the house that Jack built a total score of 11 out of 20, which basically means average. And I think it, it depends on the sort of person you are, whether you'll take value from it, whether you want to be pushed, whether you want to be shocked. If you do, then you might enjoy it. If you like your films messed up, mindlessly violent and majorly uncomfortable, then the house that Jack built could be a film for you. But be warned, it's nasty. Mm. It nasty. Very nasty. I mean, just listen to the original song. You, you listen to the end of that song. Yeah. That's the disclaimer. You yeah, know. it nasty. Consider watching this one if you enjoyed Seven, American Psycho and Martyrs. Should you play a game? See, si. The game in question is what the plot, where the rules are simple and the results quite the opposite. Harry will conceive an original idea from his big and beautiful brain and give birth to a plot. It is then down to me to nurture this thought by providing a film title, genre, cast and anything else I can think of to raise this brainchild into a fully functioning film concept. Over to you, Harry. This character's called Ralph Tumbler. Ralph Tumbler. Ralph Tumbler. He's he's essentially lived alone all his life. His parents died when he was, uh, like, a teen. He, he never found love. He didn't have children. He didn't have a partner. And uh, he, he's highly intelligent, almost savant. He's a bit of a professor at a university. Anyway, I think he's... I'd say he's about 55 years old. Yeah. And he uh, he gets diagnosed with a terminal cancer, a really fast-growing cancer, and he probably only has five or six months left. So he feels like he's always lived a very isolated life and not had many, um, not many uh, real adventures or not really seen or done much. So he just drops everything and he decides to walk Land's End to John O'Groats, which is about an 800-mile walk. So he catches a train out of London uh to to cornwall and his adventure begins it's essentially a road movie with a guy who has terminal illness and doesn't have very very long to live so he uh you're going to follow him through all of the you know the uh the countryside the hostels the pubs and he's going to start to slowly over time towards the end goal at the top of scotland release little bits of himself and open his character up and the, i think the sad thing is in this film is the way he lived a closeted lifestyle he starts to he starts to make bonds with people, but he only has obviously a limited amount of time. He meets he meets a nice a nice woman or a nice guy, depending on his uh, sexuality, and he starts to see on the things that he probably missed out on, um, not because of any fault of his own. You know, he losing his parents from a young age it probably affected the way he approaches relationships, and I think um, you see the difference in how does someone live their life when they know it could be over to when someone feels invisible, like when they're 20 or something and how different it treat you treat life, etc. Okay, man. I didn't prepare anything. It sounds like you did. Okay. Make myself sad. Okay. Give me some more. Um, just so I can uh, think about it. Well, I think like reminiscent of road movies and I love road movies, be them, be them the hilarious comedies like due date or the really heartfelt the way, you know, which is done in honor of his son who's passed away. It would be, I mean, it needs some ex- exceptional cinematography to capture the beauty of Cornwall and to show that, that long, his long journey to John O'Groats. I mean, it's 800 miles and you're walking every inch of it. Maybe, maybe kind of like a Coen brothers film. He doesn't even get there, you know, Ooh. Maybe no, maybe he just stops. Okay, no country for old men. You you know you're following Josh Brolin. He's your lead throughout the whole film. You don't even see him die. He just gets shot and he's dead on the floor. So this uh, 800 mile walk. Where what's where's the walk to again? So Lands End is the far southwest of England, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the furthest west of English mainland. 
because you can't include the Scilly Isles because they're an island. And it's the John O'Groats, which is the northernmost point of the United Kingdom mainland. Okay. So it's it's basically furthest south to furthest north okay. of England. It's 800 plus miles. It's a long ass walk. Okay. And it's, uh, but if you want time to slow down, walking is the best thing for it. Like your life's very quick when you're at home, you've got your routine, you've got work. It goes, you're looking at a clock, aren't you? And it's going and going. When you're walking and you know that it's an 800 mile walk, time slows. Yeah. You meet people, you've got time to talk. You start, you, I think it opens him up. So he's gone from a, a life of solitude to in his final chapters, opening himself up to meet people. There's just no, in his mind, it's like, well, why? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a professor at a good university and stuff, but I've got no one to share done. it with. Well, yeah. it's done now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he spends, he decides to spend his last moment cramming in as much stranger as he can, as much uh, new experiences as he can, yeah. you know? And I think, um, yeah, it's almost like it's taken him all his life to blossom. Yeah. At the end. No, that's a lovely, that's a lovely story. I see this as, as a, a sort of uplifting story that's sort of bookended by the end of life, what happens to all of us. But it's it's his decision to, to go on one last hoorah. God, it's quite depressed. exciting. It's that film, man. It's House That Jack Built. Wash it off. Take it <laughs> off. We'll be fine. So uh, in summary, we've got Ralph Tumbler, all life loner. Parents died as a teen. Um, he's a professor at a university. He gets terminal cancer. He's not had many adventures in his life. So for one last hoorah, he goes for an 800 mile walk doing Land's End to John O'Groats. Yeah, John O'Groats. John O'Groats, yeah. And the film follows him through his travels and he opens himself up to camaraderie, to possible, possible love interest, yeah. to meeting new people, to broadening his horizons for, for the final time, so to speak. So I see it as a really uplifting, beautiful film, beautiful imagery, lot light comedy, uplifting comedy, just all the good things. Mm. Um, in the lead role as Ralph Tumblr, I see Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. Yeah. Love that man. And he's 50, 50-ish. He's yeah. got to be there or thereabouts. He could do it. Sorry, Ralph, if you're younger or... or I don't love know. that. Yeah. So yeah. I see Ralph Fiennes because he's a fantastic actor, one mm. of uh, Britain's best, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Amazing. And watching him journey, you could see him as a professor. You can see him as a shut-off to the rest of the world who decides to go out and have one last adventure and meet people along the way. Directing the film, uh, someone he's worked with before. I see this as a Wes Anderson film, man. It would just look beautiful. That would actually relieve the, um, the, the maybe the depressing undertones that I was delivering. Yeah. So Wes Anderson would make it. It would lift up for the journey. Yeah. And, and the stories are about the, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah, right? the imagery yeah. would be amazing. And along his way, you he meets all the oddball characters that are synonymous with an Anderson film. You'll mm. see the usual suspects in there. Owen Wilson in Birmingham. You'll see Owen Wilson, you'll see Luke Wilson, you'll see Tilda Swinton, you'll see Jeff Goldblum, you'll see Bill Murray. They're all there. They're all on the journey. He's got a look. Francis McDormand could be his love interest. Who knows? You see all of the usual people you'd see. It would look beautiful. It'd have those little cutaways that he does on his journey. And I think Wes Anderson could could handle a film that's beautiful, but veers off to a sad ending. But you're going to be looking at the journey that he's taken to get to the inevitable end. So I think he could juggle it. Oh, can I add a little... You can. Ever since you've added to it, I just thought of an amazing ending for the less for the less less depressing out, ultimate outcome, I suppose. So let's say he does have that romance, like halfway through his journey, yeah, meets a lovely woman, uh, has a beautiful date with her, spends a couple of days walking, and they part ways. Maybe he sleeps with her, yeah. 
and uh, at the end that say he doesn't make it but or, or John O'Groats is there but the last scene you see is just like a pregnancy test and he's actually got that woman pregnant so he's left something behind that one day he's left a part of him behind that makes it Anderson yeah doesn't it? he's a bit odd like that yeah but it'd be cool to think that even though he's 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 physically dead in the present now yeah he actually in that and that's like the what do you call it the fate the fatalist part of it. It's like yeah. he left his house, did the walk, and he met the woman, and he slept with her. She actually decided to keep the baby, yeah, for that short-term romance, and then that's a bit of him left behind. That's nice, maybe. Yeah, that's a nice little flourish to that. The could film. be a flip side, yeah, a B side. Oh, we'll we'll have that in there. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of that. So I'd have yeah, Ralph Fiennes, Wes Anderson directing with his usual motley crew of cast that he has in all of his films, and I'd call the film Journey's End. Hello, yes, um, I'm Ralph Tumblr, I'm 55 years of age, I am a professor, I have cancer, I have done nothing with my life. Oh, are you off on holiday, Mr Tumblr? Miss Welsh, yes, I'm going away for a while, can you look after Petunia, please? Who's Petunia? She is my houseplant. Well, how long are you going away for? Oh, hold on, let me, uh, let me check my itinerary, hold on. Ah, yes, here it is. I will be back never. The new film from Wes Anderson, starring Ralph Fiennes and all of the Anderson allies. Life begins at journey's end. Coming soon.